This is the Wealth and Law Podcast, a podcast about the intersection of personal wealth and the legal landscape. We'll take a deep dive into relevant topics. We'll basically teach you what we know, and we'll engage with guests with deep expertise in their field. We hope that you'll enjoy this episode and many more episodes. So please join us on this journey as we try to bring you relevant information that is both timely and important for you to know in order to engage in this area of the world. Welcome back. If you're intending to find the podcast, uh, welcome back anyways. If you're not, we're talking today about technology. We're going to be talking about technology for a few different episodes. Uh, Today's topic is really about using technology in a distributed fashion or put a different way, having a distributed practice. My prognostication or premise for this episode is that distributed practices are actually going to become the norm much more than they are now. uh, And they're going to be more widely adopted as the norm in professions in private wealth uh, going forward. And I, I think that's going to be across the board. I know that there is now some resistance to a distributed workforce, for example, but I actually don't think that that is, that is going to be a long-term future trend and that the opposite, because of certain things that we'll discuss here in just a second, are going to push people that way. We're going to push firms that way. So what do I mean by a distributed workforce? I really mean it in two different um, angles. One is distributed client bases. Part of that is just the mobility of people and the mobility of their families. When you get into private wealth work, of course, you're not always just dealing with uh, parents or grandparents. You're dealing with kids and grandkids. And these folks don't always stay in the same town and they don't always live within a block of each other, but they move across state lines. They move across international lines. They marry somebody in a new place. They go there. They start up a family. They establish themselves in a new location and they're not coming back. And just by that fact, a distributed client base is almost an inevitability in any sort of private client work. And I don't think I'm revealing anything new here or blazing a new trail on that. That's just reality. It's certainly been reality for me. And my practice is also multi-jurisdictional, so in multiple states, and also international in multiple countries. That also, maybe with the international piece aside, is not overly unique. In many instances, even if you are only licensed, for example, to practice in one state, if that's an issue in your profession like it is for lawyers, um, your clients are really going to be found outside of your state boundaries and you're going to be doing work for clients that reach into other states. Of course, you have to navigate the ethical rules, but that is, that is a reality. So the premise here is that a distributed client base is almost an inevitability. A distributed workforce, I think, also is close to an inevitability, although I think it will just become more common than it is today. So, of course, we've all had conversations with people since the pandemic ended who say, oh, we're back in the office. I I'm so ready to be back in the office and virtual work doesn't work. Distributed work doesn't work. Work from home doesn't work. People aren't effective. They're not efficient. And we're requiring everybody to be back in the office. And that's where we do our best work and collaboration. I understand that perspective and I am not necessarily trying to argue against that perspective, except to say that it, in my opinion, is slightly short-sighted. I think it's short-sighted in the sense that some of the things that 
are told to me about the merits of being in the office every single day with everybody are things that can be adjusted for and might be cultural or perspective type issues. So let me give you just a couple of examples. So the common one that I hear, which I'm sure you hear too, is that, well, people today, they just don't want to work. And so when they work remotely, they're not efficient. They don't get things done. Well, of course, even if people are working remotely, you can create systems that require them to show that they are actually finishing projects, number one. Number two, if you think they're being inefficient at home, probably that's because they're billing by the hour and you could adjust your cost or your your billing practices so that it isn't driven by a billable hour, but it's driven by the outcomes of projects. And you could compensate people based on the outcomes of projects. And you can check in with them regularly if you're a manager. You can schedule time to check in with them, see how they're doing, see what projects are being completed, give them deadlines, give them clear guidance. So all of that can be done in a distributed fashion. I would submit that it's all being done in an office setting as well. Okay, the second thing that I hear frequently sort of against a distributed workforce is that the rubbing elbows, the running into somebody in the hallway, the sticking your head in the door and chit-chatting with people, those opportunities don't happen and they and people don't have the chance to interact with multiple people in the firm in a more informal way. And I think that is true. Uh, certainly in prior phases of my career when I worked solely in the office, that would happen. I, it wasn't every day. And there would be plenty of days where I didn't interact with a lot of other people because I had things to do and I was just in my office working. And so I wasn't interacting with tons of people in the office who maybe even practiced outside of my practice area. But yes, occasionally uh, we would all get together and we would chit chat. We might start talking about cases. I might get an idea or two from people who aren't in my practice area. It was rare that those ideas were tremendously helpful because they don't necessarily understand all the ins and outs of what I do, but that did happen. You can, in a distributed workforce, manufacture all of those things. You just have to be more deliberate about it. And I think that's the part that people seem to be forgetting. But there are so many uh, benefits to both a distributed client base and a distributed workforce that I actually think that those are likely to become more of the rule and not the exception. Or, in, or there's going to be more of the rule of a hybrid scenario where you have some office space, some office time, but you also have remote work as well. And that, I think that's going to continue, notwithstanding um, how loudly some people are, are trumpeting work in the office. Some of it is because of the expectations and what I think will be the future expectations of clients and of employees. Clients don't seem to have the same overall strong requirement that you be in the office all the time. At least in my experience, clients are not demanding that we be sitting in our office every single day, waiting for them to show up so that they can just pop in and leave us documents and chit chat with us. Sometimes that is the case. I have, I have had clients who've told me that they kind of wanted that and they went somewhere else. They, they didn't stick around uh, with me because I just don't do that. I don't offer it. It's not part of my practice. So of course I can't accommodate something that I literally don't do. So I wasn't willing to do it for them because I'm not willing to do it as a general rule. And they went somewhere else and that was totally fine. We weren't the right fit for them. That, to, in my experience, is really the exception. Most clients, they don't really want to be bothered. They don't necessarily want to see you every day. 
They don't necessarily want to hear from you every day, and they don't need to communicate with you directly in person in the office every single time that you communicate. There are so many ways that we communicate using technology now that clients are accustomed to. And a little bit of that, I think, is a product of the pandemic. People got used to doing video conferencing, messaging each other, and doing business more electronically, plus almost every other service out there that clients utilize are more and more distributive. Think of shopping. Think of even grocery shopping. All of those services now are largely, as a rule, virtual. You order everything online. It's either delivered to your house or you go show up at the location. They deliver the things to you. It's far more broadly adopted and accepted that that is the way that you do business in very basic functions of life. And I don't think it's a huge stretch to expect that people will continue to expect those kinds of levels of service in other areas of their life. They will just expect that you will be available virtually, that you will have virtual um, offerings for them, and that that you do do business virtually. They, I've also... Uh, found that people are accustomed, for example, to signing things electronically. And there are challenges with that, of course. Do they read them? Do they understand them? But even if you send somebody something in writing, say an engagement letter or employment agreement for the services you're going to provide, they might not read the paper version either. They may just sign it. That's that's just the way it works. So um, for for all those many reasons, I think clients will continue to expect that our services as service providers will match up with their reality and other aspects of their lives. Employees are going to continue to expect the opportunity to work remotely. They'll want to have the opportunity to travel, to work from home, to accommodate family schedules. And all of those things require not being tethered to a very specific location in a very specific office in a very specific city all of the time. And that expectation is not going to go away actually for similar reasons to the reasons I gave about clients. We have become accustomed to having the ability to work from home, and we do virtual work in almost every other aspect of our lives. So just consider your own personal financial uh, services, banking services. Almost all of them are virtual. Almost all of them are electronic or online or on your phone and you don't expect that you have to go into a very specific place in order to do that very specific thing that extends to the workplace i think now and i don't think there's any way to unring that bell sorry to say it for anybody who really loves being in the office and expects their employees to love it it's it's just not going to i don't think it's going to be the rule in the future i think it's going to become the exception because of the expectations of employees and we in these professional services, we need employees. And I think everybody knows that it's difficult to find employees. But the ability to work in a distributed fashion means that you can recruit people who don't happen to live in the exact same place that you do. You can recruit people from other jurisdictions to do work for you. You can recruit people from other cities to do work for you. And it can work and it can be effective for clients. Another reality that's going to push businesses this direction, I believe, is just the cost and efficiency. If you don't have to spend as much money on real estate, you will save money. That is a, that is a fact. And it's been a trend for a long time. 
certainly in the law business. Uh, many large firms have been cutting their real estate footprints for a very long time because they've been cutting down staff because technology has replaced the services that staff used to fill and they didn't need as much space. Well, technology is not going to stop replacing services that you now need staff to do. Those sorts of changes, in my experience, happen always from the bottom up. They squeeze from the bottom up. So it used to be that law firms would be full of people whose jobs were to type and take dictation. Well, when you don't need that to be done, you don't need those people. It gets squeezed from the bottom up. You didn't see the partners of the firm fleeing the firm. You saw the service providers within the firm, people servicing those partners, um, being squeezed out of those firms. I think that's going to continue. And we'll talk later in this series about artificial intelligence and what that might mean for the practice. So um, when you don't need all that real estate, you are going to save money. And I think firms are not going to be immune to understanding that there's a cost efficiency. I think one of the lagging or maybe dragging factors in that respect is there are many small to mid-sized firms where the following playbook was implemented and now there's fear that it will not be fulfilled, okay? There are a few, so here's the playbook, sorry. There are, say, a few key partners, and they have had good careers, say 20, 30-year careers. They all go out and they buy a building, and then they lease the building to the firm. They own the building, the firm leases it, and of course, they make money off of leasing the building to the firm. Well, if the firm doesn't need that building, they also don't need that lease, and they're not going to pay those partners out. And it leaves those partners in a tough economic situation. So, of course, those partners' motivation is to get everybody back in the office. And I think there are some real on-the-ground realities along those lines that are driving some of the behaviors, even in the face of the obvious cost savings from cutting down real estate. And if you can cut down real estate, it just means it forces you into becoming better at being a distributed service provider or a distributed firm with distributed workers and remote workers. And then you have to you have to change your pricing potentially, or you have to change the way that you interact with employees to take advantage of that situation. But it's in my opinion, it's solely driven by technology and the capabilities of te technology that have changed, maybe not so recently, but certainly in the last five years that enable all of that to happen. There's always, of course, the story of the Kodaks where they developed the, the first uh, digital camera, but then they, they never did bring it online, but they did all the research for it. And then, of course, of course, Kodak basically went out of business because they didn't innovate with technology. I smell a, a slight corollary to that when it comes to distributed practices and, and the hesitancy on the part of some people to embrace distributed work if you can utilize technology to provide similar services, but all you really need to do is adapt to that technology, meaning you need to change behavior. You need to change the way that you interact with clients and employees. And if you do that, it will not only allow you to charge the same or more amount of money for your services, but it will cut down your costs. What rational business person would walk away from that and say, no, it's not for us. So I, I know there will be people who are resistant and will continue to be resistant, but because of those tailwinds, I don't see it going away at all. Of course, there are challenges and those challenges are pretty well documented. We'll talk about them more in 
this series of episodes we're going to be doing on technology. Security is an issue, of course. How to communicate, how to stay on top of team members and clients, uh, not losing kind of a personal touch with everybody, maintaining relationships. Those things are a challenge. Um, Training is an issue within your own firm. Teaching clients, of course, is an issue. Helping them to understand the services and what you're doing in a distributed way can be, in some instances, an issue. But I, I don't think that they're challenges that are, that are insurmountable or so big that it really ought to be pushing people away from embracing what technology basically gives us now, which is the ability to do work for a broader context, uh, meaning more clients in more places, and to be able to do work with more people, more employees in more places. So let me just give you a quick kind of rundown of my practice, how it really operates, the the technology behind it, how we do it. And when I, well, when I uh, go through this, I'm not saying that this is like the best setup, but it's the setup that we use and it works pretty well. For us, and, and I don't think it's going to sound like amazingly abnormal. Uh, I think, say in 2019, uh, it probably would have been more abnormal. But now most firms have adopted a lot of these technologies, somewhat at the point of the spear, but uh, or the you know looking down the barrel of the gun of the pandemic and being forced into it. But uh, most most places have adopted these sorts of technologies, anyways. Okay, so my firm or the firm that I work for and I'm a partner in, Ramon, is a basically a virtual law firm. We have some physical offices within the firm, and those physical offices are really more one-off, accommodating certain partners who want them. And But basically within the, the economic structure of the firm, they pay for them. So in many cases, they're, they're already paying for those um, costs. So I'm not necessarily paying for their, their real estate. I don't have dedicated physical real estate, except that we utilize a company called Regis. Uh, Regis bought a company called Spaces not too long ago, so it's sort of Regis and Spaces now, but they have office space that we can use. That is our address. There's one specific location that is our, our mailing address in Tucson, where I live. There's another specific uh, location for Regis that's our mailing office in Phoenix, uh, and I work in Phoenix too. So we have physical places for physical things like mailing documents and uh, courier services, things like that. And we can use the conference rooms and the office space in any of their locations anywhere in the world. And they have locations all over the world. So what does that mean? It means we don't have a long-term lease and it's less expensive because you're only paying for kind of a virtual offering. You pay for, you get a certain number of office days, so to speak, uh, per month with the subscription that we use, but if you need more than that, or you need the conference service, conference room services, you pay for that. It's basically an hourly fee. It's really not that big a deal. It's not that expensive. So that's what we get with it, and that's how we deal with office space. Other than that, everybody on my team works virtually. They work from home, almost everybody, and almost all the time. And so, and they're distributed. So my associate and I live in Tucson. My assistant is in Phoenix, and my paralegal right now is in Orange County, California, uh, but she's from a small town in northern Arizona. So we are all dispersed. We don't really even have the ability to get together in person, uh, so we don't, but we meet frequently, and we have very scheduled uh, formal times where I meet with them as a group, and I meet with everybody one-on-one, -on -one. and we also, of course, chat informally. We use 
primarily Teams and Microsoft-based applications. So we have a couple. So of course, I mentioned Teams, but I mean, Teams is sort of the communications platform. Then in terms of collaboration, we, as a group, or at least in my small group, we use SharePoint, uh, where we can share documents, and then we use uh, we've used all sorts of things for project management. It's an for me, it's an ever it's a never ending project in and of itself. Uh, right now, we're stepping into using Monday.com to do project management for us, keep track of projects and deadlines and assignments, things like that. Um, but those are sort of the main within my group. Those are the main technologies that we use. Of course, we also text each other and call each other on our phones, but within work, those are sort of the main ways that we communicate. But we use those systems to communicate with clients as well. Outside of just normal email or the occasional letter, uh, we will set up video conferences largely through Teams. I don't have a Zoom account, although I, I'll use Zoom if clients want it. Uh, in the past, we've also used a system called Ring Central which before the pandemic, Ring Central had a, a Zoom platform uh, that did their video conferencing. We maybe occasionally, very occasionally, use Ring Central still for uh, for video conferencing uh, or phone calls, but it's really not that not that frequent. Ring Central now is basically where I can fax when I occasionally need to fax something, say to the IRS, and where if clients text me on my office line and they don't text my cell phone, uh, it goes through Ring Central. So that's pretty much the tech stack we use for for file management. We use a system called iManage, um, which I think is a Microsoft system. It works just fine. And iManage has a has file sharing as well. So that's largely the the technology or the applications that we use that basically drive the entire practice. And all of that works just fine. And it's not super fancy. And I don't think it really has to be super fancy. I know a lot of firms uh, that are virtual, they use they use systems like Slack uh, or they use, they use Zoom as their main video conferencing uh, platforms. Nothing against those systems. We just don't use them. And I think we'd get enough out of Teams and SharePoint uh, that within my group certainly we don't really need more and for clients teams and sharepoint well teams certainly works just fine and i'm not an evangelist for teams i think it has its limitations but it works just fine so with those fairly basic technologies we can kind of manufacture all of the things that we need to do both from a service end and from an employee end to be distributed because what I just listed off is such a short list is more evidence to me of why these sorts of arrangements are probably going to become more the norm and not the rule as we go forward, even though right now there's a bit of a anti-remote work movement, I'll say. It's sort of like the counter movement to the pandemic. But having having remote systems, having remote work, having remote clients, uh, it just has an enormous economics of scale to it and has has great cost efficiencies built into them. Let me address just one thing here in closing that some people might be thinking, and that has to do with, with having clients who are distributed and keeping relationships. You know, how do you, if everything is virtual and you're, and you're not meeting people in real life, how do you maintain relationships? For me, the answer is, it's not all or nothing. And for me, it's all, it's or, 
in that instance. So it means staying in contact with people virtually in all the many ways that we communicate virtually um, and doing that intentionally as well and meeting people in real life and continuing to do normal things in real life that you have to do to maintain relationships with people who refer business to you or clients themselves or to to develop new relationships. So I still go to conferences in person. I like conferences in person. I still go out to coffees and lunches and happy hours with people who I interact with professionally and enjoy and I still do all of those things in person, and in addition to that, I, st I also connect with people virtually. And I think if, you, if, you have, if you're connecting with people who are not where you live, and virtual is the most convenient, realistic option, offering it and doing it is a benefit. People do appreciate it because it isn't zero. It maybe isn't as efficient as in person, or it may not be as effective as in person, I think there's something to be said for that, but it is much better than zero and it still can work and you just have to be more intentional in the way that you do it. So I don't think you have to necessarily give up those, those benefits of in-person in terms of developing relationships and maintaining relationships. You just have to be more intentional in how you do it if a lot of that is going to be done virtually. And I do think that you should continue to meet up with people in person to develop relationships and maintain relationships and continue to build your business if that's what you're trying to do. So you can do both. And those things fit into having and then maintaining and running a distributed practice with distributed clients, a distributed practice with distributed workforces. All of those skills that you learn with clients and the workforce can also be utilized to build a distributed, uh, a distributed business in essence. So including with, with referral sources and centers of influence, so to speak, you know, all of those skills, they translate just as well. So, all right, that is, I'm going to leave it there. That is uh, probably sufficient <laughs> to bludgeon you over the head about uh, distributed practices and, and the future of that and the way that technology is going to drive it. We're going to have lots of episodes about technology. This is just the first, uh, and I hope you will join us for more. See you then. Hey listeners, thanks again for joining me on the podcast. It's fun to do it for you. If you're enjoying it, please subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to my blog at wealthandlaw.com and follow me on social media at wealthandlaw. I'll see you there.